fail to realize that sin in our hearts and lives will not allow God to release His plans and purposes for our lives? Could it be that your lack of direction or your lack of hearing from God is not that God is not speaking, it's just that our hearts are not consecrated? Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lawrence. Today we continue with Crawford's new series called The Pursuit of God's Heart. And we're looking at the life of David. Although David was successful as a military leader, he failed in a significant way as king of Israel. Yet God called him a man after his own heart. God obviously saw something in David despite his human failings. So how are we to understand this? Well, join us as we gather around God's Word. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in this series, we'll look at six segments of David's life. Today, it's part two of the message, An Unlikely Choice. If you're new to us, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. His books include Unshaken, For a Time We Cannot See, and Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow. He retired from pastoral ministry and now mentors those in Christian leadership through his organization, Beyond Our Generation. Well, let's get right to today's study. Now, last week, we began to look at the first of these six segments of David's life, the first being that David was marked by God to be king. Samuel the priest was directed by God to find David and anoint him, and we'll pick it up right there. Again, our text, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here's Crawford Loritz on living a legacy. Samuel shows up here in Bethlehem, and... Um, he had a very specific task, as we saw back up in verses uh, 1, 2, and 3, you know, particularly in verse 1, he said, fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse and the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So God was very specific with him. I, I want you to go. I want you to take this special olive oil, and I want, you, I want you to put it in this animal horn flask. And when I say that's the one, right then and there, I want you to anoint him. You got it? Yeah, I got it. But when he shows up, there's this interesting thing that happens. When Samuel shows up, the elders get very scared. Look, look at his line in verse, verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Samuel's presence scared them to death. You say, well, why should he scare them? He's a, he's a priest. Uh, let me just point out a couple of things here. Uh, one is that Samuel was a powerful, formidable figure. His reputation was, you know, he heard from God. He heard from God. God spoke to Samuel and through Samuel. But I think there's another basic reason why they were afraid. And that is, he had recently executed Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And they heard about it. Now, this is a gory passage of Scripture, but I need to read this to you. Saul, Saul was supposed to kill the king. He was supposed to kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites. God told him to kill him. God told him to kill him. Told him, don't take the spoil, kill the man, all right? Well, Samuel shows up, you know, you got the sheep bleeding back there, all this kind of like stuff that he's kind of stolen and kept for himself and all of this. And uh, Agag is still alive. Samuel asks about him, where's Agag? All right. 
verse 32 of chapter 15 says, Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. I mean, the whole deal is this. Well, what, what, what are you going to do to me? You're, 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 you're a priest. I've gotten away with this. Saul, you know, he kind of, he didn't say this. Saul kind of punked out. He didn't follow through. So, so he came to him smiling. Hey, what's up? I've heard about you, Samuel. What's that? Yeah, how you doing? Good. I, yeah, you two guys are good friends here. And I, yeah, yeah. He says, surely the bitterness of death is past. And that's what he thought. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So, you're a priest and you're one of the leaders and one of the elders in Bethlehem and you heard about this, and Samuel shows up. I think, I, I think he'd have my attention. <laughs> so they were a little, little, little afraid. He was a powerful man. But that's not why he was there. He announces why he was there, and he commands them to consecrate themselves. That's what he says in verse 5. He says, I want you to go consecrate yourself. And he, he said, peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. What's the big deal about consecrating? We could read this and go on to the next thing because we want to get the punchlines of the story, but this is very, very important in this whole process. Samuel knew that God had chosen someone. He didn't know exactly who it was going to be, but he understood that God had spoken to his heart. And he wasn't going to handle this process the same way he had handled the process with Saul in selecting him. He knew that he was under, under, under the authority of our great God. And he had to tenaciously move toward doing this the right way. The whole idea of consecration in the Old Testament, when he says consecrate yourself, it was ritual cleansing and involved bathing and putting on clean clothes and the avoidance of contact with any dead body. And we got children here and... It avoided also doing what married people did too. So you consecrated yourself. You stepped back. You made yourself pure and clean. It is the idea of honoring and revering God. God, we want to hear from you. You have something that you want to do, something that you want to say. There's a biblical principle that says holiness always precedes direction. One of the things that God's been speaking to my heart about, I, it's, uh, I won't get into all of this, but listen to me, listen to me. Look, 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 the, the Bible says the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the reverence of God, the honoring of God, the worshiping of God, the cleansing of your temple, the cleansing of your heart. That is the beginning of insight. David said it in Psalm 25, verse 14, for the hidden things, the secret things belong to the Lord and to those who fear him. So this whole idea of consecration is important for us today. Some of us are so compartmentalized in our approach to God and our approach to things that he wants us to do that we fail to realize that sin in our hearts and lives will not allow God to release his plans and purposes for our lives. 
Could it be that your, your lack of direction or your lack of hearing from God is not that God is not speaking. It's just that our hearts are not consecrated. Yielded. Open to Him. In so doing, Samuel was saying, listen, listen, God's, God's doing something here. And He needs your clean heart and your focused attention. If we want God to speak to us and lead us, we have to consecrate our hearts. So Samuel consecrated the elders. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So what we have here, two points in this, the steps in this whole process, there's rejection, there's invitation, and now we come to selection. Uh, this is where we usually camp out in this story. You know, this whole selection, there was nothing right about the whole piece. I mean, God, God is just like building up the tension here. Uh, there's, there's wrong criteria. They're the wrong candidates. And there's a wrong conclusion. I mean, that's what verses 6 through, six through 12 is all about. There's nothing right about this. Wrong, wrong criteria, wrong, wrong candidates, and the wrong conclusion. Versus the wrong criteria. And this is on Samuel. Samuel made an assumption. And God so said, oh, slow your roll here, buddy. You're going down this path, but I'm not going down that path with you. This is what he says here in verse 6. So, when they came, meaning Samuel and his sons, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the, no the Lord's anointing is before him. Look at this fine young man. Look at him. I mean, dude, he, he looks kingly. He even walks kingly. I, I can pick up, you know, this it factor, this charisma that homeboy has here. And, you know, he's the oldest in the pecking order. And certainly this is the one. And I even pick up a little vibe in the atmosphere, how his brothers are deferential toward him, and he's got the mark of leadership on him. Yeah, Samuel wasn't a novice. He had been around the block, and you're talking about an experienced uh, prophet with insight. You're probably right. Close the books, man. I'm on the 6 o'clock chariot back, back to my house, man. This is, this, is all, this is a done deal, Jack. And God said, hey, ho, 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 slow up, slow, hold, hold up, man. Did you hear from me? Or did you just make an assumption? God rebukes Samuel and reminds him of something. And in so many words, although his name's not mentioned here, it's almost as if God said, hey, hey, we did, we've been down this road before. Uh, Saul was handsome. Saul was tall. Saul had charisma. We've been down this road before. And notice what he says here in verse 7. He says... <laughs> The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. It's not what you like, it's what I want. Now, I, would you keep that in mind? Crawford, it's not what you like, it's what God wants. He says, look, 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 I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Yeah, he's got everything outwardly that lines up. It really looks good, looks wonderful. Yeah, you, you know, he fits the criteria objectively on the surface. Yeah, he looks this way. He's kind of like carries himself that way. He's the oldest. He's used to responsibility. He'd probably be the heir of the household, all this kind of stuff. He can walk. I mean, it's just wonderful, but he ain't it. See, Samuel did not know God's will. And God chose not to tell him in advance so that he would, he would depend on him each step of the process. I cannot tell you the number of times my assumptions about things have caused a mess. And God, God did not tell him ahead of time because he said, I want you to depend on me each step of the process. Don't jump ahead of me, but trust me, listen to me. And the point of verse 7 is that God's considerations are not the same as ours. You know how we get in trouble is that we take the processes that we see out there in the marketplace, in the world, and we assume that we can apply those same processes indiscriminately to how we do ministry and how we make decisions in the Christian life, and you end up with an idolatrous hybrid. And no wonder power is drained from us. No wonder we're not operating by the Spirit's overwhelming direction. God doesn't value these things the way we value them. God alone has the capacity to observe and judge a person's heart. And to God, the heart outweighs all other aspects or factors. To God, the heart is everything. God's, I'll, I'll get you what you need if I have your heart. I'll get you the resources if I have you. I'll give you the experience if I've got this. It's the heart. Sometimes we pay more attention to our proficiencies and better ways of doing things and how strategies of getting ahead than we do to the, the condition of our hearts. And God was saying to Samuel, look, look, Saul's a major screw-up because his heart is messed up. Are you going to do that again? Saul, so there was the wrong criteria. There's the wrong candidates. What happens next? <laughs> this is, this is, so I, you know, I feel for Samuel. I mean, God, God's, like, God's like putting him on hold. Said, no, I ain't telling you nothing until it's the right one, okay? So, I mean, the suspense is, is palpable. So they start, this old, they start this old process here in verse 8, and Samuel's got, I mean, now that he's got, God's got his attention, Samuel's really listening. And verse 8 says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Nah, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Well, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, uh, the Lord has not chosen these. W what are we going to do? It's, and he says, verse 11, Samuel said to, uh, to Jesse, are all your sons here? You got more kids anywhere? <laughs> I mean, in your B.C. days, do you think that maybe somebody, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just reading the passage here. He said, is, is this everybody? <laughs> So, I'm in a, I'm a, I'm a, a bit of a pickle here. Well, Jesse's youngest son had been excluded because he was the youngest and he was not out tending sheep. 
and I don't have enough time to get into this, but this is, this is, this is powerful stuff here. He says in verse 12, 11, excuse me, and he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. It, it's sort of like, he, he didn't fit, I mean, he doesn't fit any criteria. He doesn't, ain't going to inherit nothing. I mean, he's, 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 and by the way, he's keeping sheep, which was a despicable thing. I mean, what, why, I mean, he's, he's, he's a young dude. What did Samuel say? Well, Samuel said, well, I, I got to complete the process. God told me to do this. So, in this suspenseful situation, Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Hurry up, get the boy, man. Bring him here. I got to complete the assignment. Let me make a couple of observations here. One is this. Don't force the issue when God says no. Don't force the issue. You know, he could have gone back and said, oh, let's revisit these candidates. I mean, maybe we can just sort of make it work. Anybody here had to live, live with consequences of making it work? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'll raise my hands and my feet and everything. You, you don't want to make it work. You don't want to make it work. One of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever gotten, I've passed this on. Trust me, trust me. It is always better to go without than to get somebody who doesn't fit. Is always better to go without, and and so he, he so he, he says oh, don't don't force the issue. And the other thing I would say uh, from this exhaust all of the process. You waste more time by being in a hurry. Now you're looking at Mr. Impatient here, but I've learned the hard way. Being in a hurry will cost you more time later on. Finish the process. And so he says, all right, bring him up here. You know, sort of the wrong conclusion. Jesse was, you know, says, hey, this young boy, I mean, I don't know what you're going to see in him. So we've gone from rejection, invitation here, selection, and now confirmation. I mean, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. David shows up. He's a little dude compared to his brother's. Probably eyes wide open seeing famous Samuel. Am I in trouble? What's happening here? Well, <laughs> two things take place. As soon as Samuel sees him, the Lord speaks to him. Verse 12 says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Anybody ever wonder what ruddy meant? Yeah, I've read this for years, and I wonder what ruddy meant. And you know, as I research it, they ain't sure. <laughs> David, there you go. So I, but we don't know what ruddy means. He, he was a handsome young dude, but he's standing there. Uh, but you know, God had taught, he, he, his looks were irrelevant because Samuel remembered what God just said to him. His looks were irrelevant. This is not, I mean, he's handsome. He's, a, you know, easy on the eyes, but it's irrelevant Remember, God called David a man after his heart. The Lord removed the suspense by saying, anoint him, he's the one. So he was affirmed by God, and he anoints him. And God benchmarked David's life by having Samuel himself pour the oil of anointing on him. And the text says here that not only was he anointed by God, but uh, uh, he was uh, affirmed by God, but he was anointed by the Spirit 
That's what verse 12 says, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David's life was marked by the Spirit of God. Even albeit during his failures, he responded when Nathan said, You are the man. And David just said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he prayed a prayer of restoration. Do not let your spirit depart from me, he says. Because he remembered that even in all those years, running from Saul in the wilderness, hiding out in caves, he knew the dear presence of the Spirit of God. And he knew that he was around him, and he knew that God had his hand on him, even in the midst of his sorrow and pain in agony, in being attacked, he knew that God had called him. I'm going to say something hard here, but I'm, I, I, I say this hard because I love you. And I'm saying this to believers here, Christians in here. Too many of us are just too spiritually lazy to receive what God has for us. We've gotten complacent. We've adopted a cultural Christianity some of us have gotten angry and ticked at God because we feel like God owes us something. And we're mad and we're not fulfilled and we're upset and we're jealous and we're angry because God would not bless my plans. And God says, that's right. So you got a choice. I'm not going to change. You need to change. What you need to do is release what you've been holding on to and drop that and give God your heart. And say, however painful it might be, I want to do your will no matter what. I want my heart to be aligned with you no matter what. And I want to be everything that you call me to be. That's the path to incredible, eternal fulfillment and usefulness. But you won't get there. You won't get there until you release. Wow, what a powerful message. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. A lot to think about there in these early developments in the life of David. Maybe you weren't able to hear all of Crawford's message today, and if that's the case, it's available to hear anytime on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. Just look for the link, Past Programs, livingalegacy.org. Crawford is setting up our series called The Pursuit of God's Heart, and we'll be looking at six segments of David's life that we can all benefit from. We've just heard about the first segment, David was marked by God to be king. Please take a few moments to let us know how these messages are helping you in your study of God's Word. To email directly, send to legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. And again, Living a Legacy messages can be heard on our website, or you can download them to your phone or computer for free. Start with livingalegacy.org. Well, next week, Crawford shares the message, Slaying Your Giants. Hope you'll study again with us right here. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening.
This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.